Hi, this is Marlene Goldman, Managing and Destinations Content Director for Meetings Today, and welcome to our Meetings Today podcast. We're coming to you from the Desert Star in Palm Springs, California, a mid-century modern apartment hotel. Today we're joined by Richard Hovel, owner, manager of Desert Star, and our discussion today is revolving around the mid-century modern architecture that is synonymous with Palm Springs, with some insight into its history here in the desert and how groups can experience the various spaces. Hi, Richard. Thanks Hi. for joining us today. Hi. Thanks. So tell me about the history of this particular space, Desert Star. The Desert, Desert Star was built in 1954, and it was built as an apartment hotel. So there was a two-bedroom manager's unit and six smaller 500-square-foot efficiency apartments. And those efficiency apartments were rented out during the season, and usually for two or three months at a time. So people would come and stay long term and they could uh, cook and there were back patios on them and a shared pool in the front. Uh, so that's been in operation for, for many years and then in the 80s it kind of fell into rack and ruin and uh, became a, just a straight apartment building with bars over the windows but fortunately uh, not much damage was done. So in the late 90s, uh, there was a person who bought the property and uh, kind of returned it to its uh, former glory. Was this one of the early mid-century modern properties in Palm Springs? Uh, in the 50s, there actually mid-century started as early as the early 40s here in Palm Springs. The, uh, the desert and the lack of building codes really attracted a lot of architects to do a lot of interesting things especially with materials that came out of World War II and post-World War II, like plywood and masonite and formica. There were all kinds of advancements in technology that led to really amazing building materials, like big sheets of glass, um, that really were expressed here by a bunch of architects who could do whatever they wanted to, basically. So why did that style take hold here? Uh, a lot of it is there were a lot of people from uh, that were kind of run out of Germany and Europe when World War II, before World War II with the rise of Hitler. So there was a whole creative class of people that actually Germans were very much in love with the notion of the Wild West and especially the Western frontier of the United States. So when a lot, a lot of those people left, they ended up coming to the west coast of California. A lot of them also happened to be nudists and outdoor, or outdoor enthusiasts, so they were very attracted to this warm climate, California in general, the desert specifically. And uh, they started building out here, uh, I think as an expression of, for one thing, they were architects and they could, and the town was slowly growing and it was a way for them to express themselves that uh, was very free compared to where they had come from. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us what makes a property mid-century modern, some of the details? Yeah, it's tough. I think in general, um, mid-century is really a very simple style. And the structures were not large. They weren't grand. They're very shelter-like, really. And we always talk about that mid-century is sort of like Lincoln Logs. You can see how they were built, as opposed to a, uh, an ornate palace of some kind or, or Victorian architecture with layer upon layer of decoration and, and structure. Mid-century bot, 
modern buildings are very stripped down to their essentials. And like sitting in here, it's easy to see how this was built. There are beams with cross beams with wood slats on top of that that form the roof. They're very open. Um, Mid-century modern is very much about embracing the outside and blurring the distinction between outside and inside. So that's why there's so much glass and plate glass and sliding glass doors were an a large invention that came out in the early 40s that made it possible. And the wonderful thing here is that you can, these structures when the weather is perfect, which is often, um, you can live in them much like a tent. So the sides can be open and you have a structure that shields you from the occasional rainstorm, which is pretty occasional. We don't get that much rain here. It's why it's a desert. And uh, so the style, it very much has to do with the sense of openness and simplicity. And mid-century modern also is very much a, a lifestyle. If you live in a mid-century house, you quickly realize that things like your grandmother's old Victorian clock don't really work here and other extra stuff doesn't work here. A lot of mid-century houses were built with a lot of furniture built in, like in bedrooms, um, there would be large dressers that were built in. There were large closets. So the, the opportunity to even add furniture is reduced. And what you're left with is when you're here and live in them for a while is the desire to also reduce the amount of stuff you have. It's very much about um, living in the moment and living with less. And that's the best of mid-century and certainly was the earliest of mid-century. These were not designed as most of them were not designed as long as year-round homes. They were designed as vacation homes. Many of them, uh, including the Kaufman House, which is one of the, the, the most famous houses in town um, that was designed by Richard Neutra, who also designed Falling Water. Um, that house was built without heating or air conditioning. Many of these houses were because they were basically lived in from February through maybe March or April when the weather is absolutely perfect. Uh, so a lot of these structures, as, as the, they were remodeled, and the Kaufman House was one of them, really had to be completely reimagined with heating and air conditioning. So there, I think, in, in essence, the, the answer to mid-century is they're about simplicity and a real, em, a real embrace of the weather and the sunshine. And we get lots of sun and big blue sky out here, which is what mid-century really thrives in. And the light and the shadows are a huge part of how you experience mid-century. A mid-century house in Seattle in the middle of a gray day is not the same as a mid-century house in here in the desert. When and why did all the celebrities start to get drawn <clears throat> to the mid-century phenomenon? Well, you know, it's interesting. The town was really founded on a, a bunch of strong women who were kind of in the, in the Ten, you know, tens and twenties, 1910-1920 came out because mainly because of health. Uh, there was TB, there were other asthma, other diseases like that, other conditions that desert and dry air was really helpful to. So people it first came out because it was a way to get away and get healthy. It then slowly developed into a destination for Hollywood and a lot of that was because um, it's within 90 miles of Hollywood and a lot of their contracts only allowed celebrities to be 90 miles away or less when they were shooting. 
so they could get away on a weekend or even get away during the week and come to Palm Springs. And the first architecture when they started coming out in the 30s and early 40s was um, really not mid-century as much as it was uh, uh, colonial revival, Mediterranean, Spanish-style architecture that was, had been reimagined. But that also is very much about being open and outside. Um, it was really in the, in the 40s that mid-century developed and became a style. There were architects here and I think celebrities just kind of fell in love with the notion of uh, these houses that had constant sun, swimming pool, wide open doors that led out to these spaces and often in addition had walls around them so they could be private. But the town also was kind of a sanctuary for a lot of celebrities. They could come out here and walk the streets and nobody thought about it. It was, you know, the local phone books in the 50s, you can look at, look up, um, you know, like Bob Hope and you could get to, you could call Bob Hope and Bob Hope might answer the phone. It was very straightforward. So I think the style, I, I think they fell in love with the notion of it. I think that the freedom that's implied in the simplicity of the architecture and the openness of it was also part of it and proximity to Hollywood. Are there specific houses, homes from certain celebrities that are most famous? I know Frank Sinatra, but what, who are some <clears throat> of the ones that are still Yeah, there's the, there's the Sinatra house, which is used a lot now. It's, it's used for events quite a bit. Uh, there is uh, there's a famous one called the Idris House in town that it hasn't been open for a while. Uh, the Kaufman House also very famous, but there's a Bob Hope. There's a giant Bob Hope house that's up in in the mountains, within Palm Springs. That is a huge house that was built by um, Bob Hope in the I think the late 50s, early 60s. That Bob Hope actually never really liked and never lived in, even though it was, I think it's a ten or twelve thousand square foot house. It looks like a small convention center. It's not really a homey kind of place. But there are lots of houses that are, you know, the town is filled with properties that are used for special events. Um, there's the old Cary Grant estate. There are houses from the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. There's the Elvis Honeymoon House which was built by the Alexander brothers. It was actually built as sort of the show house, and it's where um, uh, Elvis Presley actually spent his honeymoon. But he didn't live there. A lot of people think he lived there, but he was there. He visited there now and then. Mm -hmm. So there are lots of places, lots of famous places in town. Who were some of the main architects that were building these? Uh, the, the ones that are most famous here are Donald Wexler. There's E. Stuart Williams. William Cody, uh, those are kind of the three, I think, big ones, and they all had their own unique style. There were many others, but uh, Don Wexler in particular is probably the, one of the more famous ones. Uh, they lived here, Wexler was, they all, I, I, none of them really thought they were doing anything sensational at the time. They were having fun, they were building houses that they enjoyed. Um, e. Stuart Williams built the Sinatra house and he actually, the story with that is that uh, Sinatra came in town, he wanted to build a house. He walked into E. Stuart Williams' architecture office and said, I want a house. And he kind of wanted a Georgian colonial, which was very popular in Hollywood then. And E. Stuart Williams said, I think, I think we can do better than that. So I think within a week he had drawings done. He came in and showed it to them and he said, great, I love it. And six months later, the house was done. 
which is a testament to a lot of things. It's a testament to East Stuart Williams. It's a, it's a testament to Sinatra saying, great, do it. But it's also a testament to the fact that there were very few building codes at the time. The process was really simple. Albert Frey, who was one of the architects who's known in this town and has a small place he built above the museum, is famous for going in, and he is an, an immigrant from Germany, from Switzerland, and um, he had this plan for the house. He went into City Hall and said, rolled out the plans and said, this is what I want to build. And the guy behind the counter said, wow, that looks really interesting. Uh, why are you here? And he said, well, I have to, I'm assuming I have to get a, an approval. No, just go ahead and build it. So it's wildly different now. And the houses like this place now, the, the, the California building codes are so strict that this room that's almost all glass would have by code would have a third of the glass in it. Every beam in here would be twice as large as it is, even though we have pieces of eight by 10 foot glass that are, have been here since 1954 and have never broken and there have been earthquakes, but it's just very different. So I think that, um, I think I got off the track there a little bit, but I think what it was, you know, there were um, different architects who were very famous for working here. And I think they just loved the freedom of it. Mm -hmm. And, and, the, and the architects who did work, like Wexler and um, E. Stuart Williams, loved the freedom of it, and they could build a lot in a short time, and people trusted them. And I think that also they always said that um, we didn't need building codes because why would somebody come to us if we built a crappy house? We'd get a bad <laughs> reputation. People came to town that who builds good houses? So if we built stuff that fell down, nobody would, nobody would hire us. So it's an interesting story, and it's a very different time. It's just a short while ago. It's only, you know, 60, 70 years ago, but things have changed dramatically. So it's interesting. And the architect for this place also built other properties. Yeah, this guy was actually a designer. His name was Howard Lapham, and um, he wasn't technically an architect, but there were a lot of people out here like that who were not technically architects, but um, they would work with an engineer to get a stamp if they needed to. Uh, but he designed a lot of, Howard did a lot of stuff. He did some stuff um, in Palm Desert also. He did some banks. Uh, he did a lot of stuff. They were all kind of, uh, they all worked with each other. It was a small town. They all knew each other. They seemed to mostly get along with each other. And uh, there seemed to be plenty of work. Are any being built now? Uh, you know, it's really tough because, as I said, with the building codes, there's, uh, there are certainly um, new architects. There's an architect named Sean Lockyer, who I think is kind of has figured out the way forward. He has a mid-century feel to his architecture, but he's moved past doing replicas into doing something that's his own unique statement, but definitely has the echo and pays homage to mid-century. Uh, it's tough the, with the building codes and, and costs in general. A lot of these houses were built with steel. Don Wexler built with steel, which is a fantastic building material because it's, you can span great distances and have very few supporting beams, but steel got very expensive. Mm -hmm. So it has been, um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a challenge now to build something here it's really going forward. I think those of us who love mid-century, it's like we can't just be, you know, Civil War reenactors and keep building, you know, the same thing over and over again. And we, it's fun seeing somebody like Sean Lockyer really move the ball forward. 
So tell me about Modernism Week, which is an annual event here mm -hmm. celebrating mid-century modern. Well, talking about Civil War reenactors, Modernism Week is sort of our version of that. It's, uh, it started out as a couple days, maybe 10 or 11 years ago, maybe we were in our 11th or 12th, I can't remember. Um, and it was basically a way to get here, get people here for a modernism show at the convention center, which had a lot of furniture and stuff like that in it. And one of the, the people who started the show decided they, they created an event that people would come out and they would take a bus tour. And I think there were two bus tours the first day, the first year. I think there's something like 200 now during Modernism Week. It's almost a 10 day event. Um, and it's uh, lectures and house tours and cocktail parties, which are the reenactor events because everybody dresses up in mid-century, tends to dress up in mid-century costumes, which is interesting because when mid-century was built, what was really popular was the Wild West. And if the Hollywood was all about Westerns and, and people were, there was Western Week and uh, a couple other events here that were all about, all about, were all about the West. So they weren't really walking around in string ties and looking like madmen, but everybody does now. So it's, it's a very fun event and it keeps growing in popularity every year. We always think it's got to stop one of these years, but I think also the, the range is expanding. It's now going into a little in early 70s is being considered okay to talk about and trying to rescue more than just pure mid-century. So early 70s starts to get into a little bit of brutalist and... Uh, postmodernist stuff. What is Mod with a Twist? Mod with a Twist is a program that we put on during Modernism Week that is uh, 10 different presenters, uh, five presentations a night, two different nights. We do it basically nine nights in a row. And we talk about something that has to do with the culture of the time. Like I talk about a phenomenon that I call Mod West, which was the mid-century and the West living at the same time. And we try to look at kind of the culture of the time, like uh, what was going on? What was Miss America at the time? What were, who were the women that started Palm Springs? Uh, what was uh, the drug culture in the 50s and mid-century? So we try to take a real cultural look at it. One of the things that we've talked about is uh, uh, revered and reviled, which is why do we love the architecture of mid-century, but we hate the food like Velveeta cheese and <laughs> cream of mushroom soup and all that kind of stuff which at the time was also equally revolutionary. And as much as women were portrayed being stuck in the kitchen, for a lot of women who were forced to cook, cream of mushroom soup and Velveeta cheese actually made they could be in, meant they could be in the kitchen a little less time. They weren't making stuff from scratch like their moms were. So in some ways it was steps forward and we always try to put that, that lens on it. You can look back and say how ridiculous, but we try to put the lens on it of going back and actually talking about what that meant at the time. So it's very fun. We always do, and we do 10 new ones every year. So it's quite interesting. Can groups join these tours? Like uh, it's, uh, the, it's an event that's every night at Modernism Week. At, there's a thing called camp, which is sort of a central tent and structure during Modernism Week. And there's a, a temporary auditorium there. And we do the presentation every night of Modernism Week. Mm -hmm. And you can buy tickets through uh, modernismweek.com. Okay. How else can groups integrate mid-century modern into events, whether it's historians, tours? There are lots of tours. Uh, there's a good friend of ours, Kurt Sear, who does uh, mid-century modern tours. Uh, during Modernism Week itself, there are the double-decker bus tours, and they're double-decker because you sit on top of the bus because you can see over the hedges and the walls. <laughs> the town has been very carefully built to be private, so 
During that time, you can actually peer over walls and see swimming pools. Um, there are events, well, in, specifically, yes, you can, you can hire tour guides, you can hire a larger bus, uh, you can rent houses like the Frank Sinatra house or the Bob Hope house and, and certainly integrate that into you. There are lots of ways to do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, this Desert Star, how does the group? Uh, the Desert Star, we, um, we are a class one historic site, which in this city means that the outside cannot be disturbed. You can't um, paint it a different color. You can't change the architecture of it. It doesn't protect the inside, but we're pretty protected because all the owners are of, of the same, we're all of the same mind and keep it in shape. But <clears throat> we do hold events here sometimes. Um, we also rent out the rooms here through Airbnb. So there are ways for people certainly to contact us and, and have events here too. And how did you particularly get involved <clears throat> in the whole mid-century phenomenon? <laughs> well, <clears throat> we had, excuse me, we had in, we were from Minneapolis originally, and we had a house that was built at the uh, turn of the 19th century in 1902 that was a, an arts and crafts four-floor bungalow, four-floor tutor with, <clears throat> that actually had a ballroom on the top floor. And we restored that. It was beautiful. And who is we? My wife and I, Deborah. Thank okay. you. And uh, we uh, came out here for my birthday. We had friends who had bought a house in Palm Springs. And we came out here and we spent a week here and we'd been in the house of Minneapolis for two years and we were there for a week and we self, fell so in love with the style and the architecture that we went back home and sold. We still had three girls that were in various levels of school so we couldn't move out to California yet but we uh, sold that house and bought a mid-century house in Minneapolis and restored that and then after being there about 10 years and having a place out here for a few years before we moved here full time. The girls got out of college and we ran away to California because <laughs> we love it here and we love everything about it. We love the sun, we love, and California itself is a big draw for us. And you said there's the highest concentration of mid-century in Palm Springs. It's the mid-century capital of the world is what the radio okay. station <laughs> says. So <laughs> there is more here and the great thing about Palm Springs, it's like there's a lot of mid-century stuff when you get to some place like Phoenix but it's very spread and Phoenix is a very big town and it takes a long, it can take a half hour to get from one house to another house to another. Here, you're not more than five minutes away from any other house and you, you can, there are a lot of walking tours during Modernism Week that are its whole neighborhoods of them. So it's, it's easy. Sounds like fun. Yeah. And when it, just for this, what year, when is Modernism Week falling? Uh, the month is in mid-February, so I, I'm sorry I don't have the dates on, on hand, but it's usually the middle of February, February. Okay. and for about 10 days. Okay. You can go to modernismweek.com and, and probably all the tickets are sold up by now anyway. So it's usually, it goes live, <laughs> the site goes live in November usually, mid-November, and often stuff is sold out by mid-December. Wow. So, so it's great. It's very popular. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we're here with Richard Hovel, um, talking about Desert Star, Modernism Week, as well as Mid-Century Modern Architecture in Palm Springs. And you can check out meetingstoday.com for a variety of podcasts relating to the meetings industry. And we'll see you next time. Thank you. Great. Thank you.